Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to uh, I guess what's going to be an episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club for I guess it's still August. I'm really not. I know I have these. They, they come out whatever weekly, monthly and stuff, but I do do this stuff on my own and I've been feeling really burned out. Um, kind of kind of uh, discouraged, I guess, you know, for the last few months, few years. I'm not sure exactly, but, you know, I've actually tried to record this. I probably recorded four or five hours of audio at this point for this episode, and none of it works. I mean, I keep going off crazy about politics, which I'm going to try to not do, but, like, it's all I think about these days. And, I mean, it's like an, an interest to me, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, like, in a weird creative place, I guess, where I don't know kind of what you guys want from me or what I should be, what should it be expected from me on this 
channel. Like I don't do that branding stuff. I don't even know what branding is. And I wonder if that's like what's getting in my way. And if, and if it's required, if I even want to try to overcome it, because it's not something I enjoy. I don't like branding. I don't like being a thing. I am just around, you know what I mean? And I'm going to die one day and then I'll be gone. Like what the fuck is, is Mark Twain's brand? What is, uh, what is, what is Edgar Allan Poe's brand other than these like, uh, you know, commodity sort of images that were foisted upon them, like in later years as part of the, uh, establishment, I guess you would say of the American canon. And I don't know. And so I guess, I guess I'm here. I'm talking to you guys and maybe I'll just turn this into like, uh, I'll, I'll try to get like 15 minutes out of it and just, uh, just sort of chat about the podcast and stuff and, and, you know, like where things are going, I guess. I don't know. And you know, I don't even know, like, I don't know where, where my career is sort of headed. I don't know what to do. I don't know if putting this out is going to be good or bad for it. You know, like I get like a mass exodus of people, but everyone's not here for the HLC. So that's kind of like where I am. Like, do people care enough about these HLC episodes to really like tune in and tune out for them? Like, do you want to hear my actual reviews of this stuff? And if you do, uh, like, do you agree? Do you care? I mean, I don't get a lot of feedback on the HLC. Sometimes somebody would be like, you know, whatever this, this, that, or that. And, you know, I'm not like begging for you guys to just go and comment on everything. It would be nice if you guys commented more on stuff. But it does feel like I'm just kind of tossing it out there and, you know, it's not uh, like no one cares. It's not like I don't feel appreciated, just, I don't know, I guess I put a lot of effort into it. Or I started putting more and more effort into it, even though it was originally supposed to be me sitting down and talking about stuff I enjoyed. Um, But then it, it, it turned into something that required effort because I'm not just, I can't just riff you know, about stuff that I'm thinking about. It's a really small niche. Like I am not, and I, I, I don't like these people on the internet. I actively dislike the, uh, what do you like these horror people on, on, on Twitter and on Instagram and stuff whose entire life or just these like, yeah, these like influencers and Instagram people and like pop culture talking head folks where it's just like everything they do is like them with this gigantic fully dusted gigantic display case behind them covered in fucking Funko pops and random memorabilia from different movies. Everybody's got their fucking Friday, the 13th mask up there. They're ready to tell you which one of their Halloweens is the favorite, you know, my top 10 favorite Halloweens. Oh my God. I just, you know, I have just always been a Jason Voorhees girl since I was 13. Like maybe you have, but like Jesus Christ, I don't think any of that's real. And it doesn't feel authentic to me. No one can care about a single thing that they're not making that much. Can they? Maybe I'm not, I don't know. I have like extreme passion for my own personal projects. Like, obscene amounts of dedication. And you know, that's not a brag or anything. That's just like legitimately like it's an unhealthy. (laughs) Once I start, I don't stop kind of thing. You know, I start drawing something even now that I've started drawing and, uh, I'll, I'll work on the same, you know, uh, 10 inches of a fucking two foot canvas for hours and hours and hours steadily redrawing stuff and redrawing stuff and sometimes making things just considerably worse than when they started out. But the, 
the thing is, is just like, I don't know where I stand in this space. Like I've gotten to a point and, and I mean, this really goes into the HLC and like, you guys should just tell me if you feel this too or anything. Like I'm starting to wonder, like I'm, am I being gaslit into hating reading? I, I don't think that's the case. Cause I don't dislike the act of reading. I actually vastly enjoy reading shit, random stuff articles, anything I'm interested in. There's a lot of manga and comic books. Well, there's a lot of manga specifically that I'm like, I'm really fascinated by. And the narratives are interesting and the art and the construction of them. The execution is really good, almost perfect. And I can look at old stuff that I liked and it's perfect. Execution, great. Narrative, awesome. Originality, 10 out of 10. But all of this shit and it's just fucking shit these days. It fucking, it's killing me. Like, I swear to God. Because I just want to read a good story from somebody that's my age or younger. And I can't fucking find them. I really can't. Okay and passing at best is like all I can get to. And maybe I am that guy. I'm fucking, I think maybe I'm Squidward sometimes. You know, just absolutely. I live inside of my own asshole. I am crushingly untalented. And I just, I, I, I'm fucking like projecting some delusion onto the world that, that can't exist because I see these fucking reviewers. I can't trust them anymore where it's like, this is the best. This is the best. They're the best thing. Oh my God. It's, it's Stephen King's best work. This is the best. It's better than this is. Oh God. This reminds me of peak King and at, at the top of his game. And it's always these fucking same people. And then I read the story and it is fucking mid at best so often. And the ones that are even almost good are like the size of a thumb, dude. There's no narrative to them. And I think it's like because they're shit, they have to be short so you don't catch on in time. And I don't know if I tell people this, but it's like it's literally getting to me. And it's hard because it's made the HLC difficult. Because basically when I started this, I was like, I've got a gigantic backlog of great books that I can go through, you know, and I can talk about them. And I've got my entire, you don't realize how small your stack of favorites are until you talk about them once a month for a couple years and then you run out, you know, and then you kind of get out of like, uh, well, I can't recommend these anymore. And like, I, I keep running into trash and I keep I fucking started another one from somebody who was like, they're like, Hey, it's the best. I'll, I'll fucking just say it. It's uh, God damn. I can't remember his name now. My heart is a chainsaw guy, Stephen Graham. I think he's a native American writer. I read another one of his, uh, I don't know. It's called like the fucking heart. She bleeds or some shit. I, I don't fucking know. It's about a dear lady. Uh, I, I read it <sighs> man, maybe eight months ago, listening to it off and on at the gym. And like, it's just bad, man. Like there's no heart in it at all. I, I, it's just, it feels cheap, insubstantial. It's like a book that's been made to be forgotten. But then you hear people talk about these fucking books and it's like, this is a monumental and it feels like there's just a gigantic industry wide conspiracy Cause I never see anybody smoking books. You know what I mean? They're all in these gigantic 
insane blowjob circles that just go around and around in circles. Like, oh, thank you for reviewing my book. You're the best. Oh, God, she's the queen of uh, horror reviewers. Oh, thank you. This person's the best new voice upcoming in horror, blah, 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 blah. And it's just rough. Like, why can't I fucking get in there, dude? I have to be at least mediocre, you know? And I think it's maybe just I, I fucking write too much. My, I got too much to my stories. People are just in the market for fucking White Castle cheeseburgers, and I'm over here not even making steak, just like, bro, here's a fucking brisket. I didn't even put that much goddamn effort into it, but at least it's got fucking seasoning on it, you know? I, I looked up a recipe. I rubbed some mustard on the bitch before I threw it on the fucking grill. I seared it. I didn't freeze it for fucking seven months and then and then insta-inflate it in a fucking nuclear hot microwave. I didn't leave it sitting under a fucking heat lamp for seven hours, drying until it's so fucking paper thin. It feels like it's disintegrating on your tongue like a communion wafer. Ah. And it gets to me, man. And I just don't have, I don't have the energy because I keep trying to find new stuff and it sucks. It's all so fucking shit. It kills me. And like, I feel alone because of it. Like I really feel isolated. Um, like simultaneously the world's most unlovable person and like most outspoken asshole. And sometimes I wonder if I shouldn't just jump into it and start going hard, like really just ripping into books and make that my thing because I really, I fucking hate them, but it also feels like, you're not going to be allowed to play if you don't suck some dick. And I mean, like literally to that extent, like that vulgar, like you literally have to like either demean yourself or just have just started at such a low space where it's just like, yeah, you've got to fucking dude. Tell me I'm nice. Tell me I'm pretty compliment me. Otherwise you don't get to fucking play. I've never heard a fucking single bad thing about a Stephen King book from any of these people. I've probably said this a million times. I love the guy, but I can give like a valid criticism. You know, like this doesn't exist in like the music world. The music world, people fucking smoke each other all the time. Uh, this was mid. This was okay. This was great. That sucked. And like, that's okay. But like, like I just finished Death Note. Death Note is amazing and then devolves into mid and then gets okay to pretty good again by the end. There's some really great parts. And like, if you accept that it's a fucking anime and put aside your, you know, uh, hoity toitiness for a second, it's fire. It's great. I can talk about it at least. You know, I'll talk about those things in context, I guess, but I can't just do a, a, a straightforward review. Like death notes good. And it's good, especially for something that's old, but it does have its problems. It is not perfect by far. Uh, the end of it is absolutely thrown together. It is ass pulls all the way, it, it, which is crazy too, because it starts great, right? If you guys don't know about Death Note, this kid, he's the best high schooler. He's the smartest person in Japan, and he's 16 he or 17, I think. He finds a notebook on the ground that was dropped by a Shinigami, a god of death in Japan, and if you write in it, you kill people. It's got a bunch of other rules, right? And they create the thing. And he starts killing people to, per, to create his perfect world where he's going to be the god. And 
these detectives, first this guy named L, which provides the largesse of it. L is trying to stop him. And it's like a cat and mouse game. They basically know who each other are. And L has to prove that um, Kira or Light uh, has been killing people. And he's got to prove how he's been doing it and figure it out so that he can stop him. And then on the other end, Light has to figure out L's real name so that he can write it in the book and kill him and eliminate his biggest competition. And the only person that can really put him in jail, I guess you would say. And so that that's good. It's a great premise. It's extremely interesting, extremely novel. You know what I'm saying? Which I only get from fucking Japan nowadays. I swear to God, American writers are fucking boring, man. Maybe me too. You know, I, I need to just, well, I guess I do do some more off the wall shit, but like, man, fuck another goddamn haunted house. Fuck another fucking slasher movie. Like I cannot take, and this will actually probably get into Nope. I cannot fucking take this shit, this smarmy, uh, cutesy. Oh, are you a horror fan? I'm a horror fan too. Here's all the pop culture references. Like, dude, is this a fucking family guy? Very special family guy. Halloween episode that I'm fucking watching right now where every 20 fucking suck seconds, somebody's got to have a cutaway to some shit that's already been done in media before because everybody fucking recognizes it and it's not going to challenge anyone. No, fuck that. Fuck that bullshit. I swear to God, I have not seen a fucking movie that is good that does that shit. It drives me insane. I fucking hate that people get funding from movies and books that do that irritating shit. It was great. It was great when Shaun of the Dead did it back when I was in fucking high school. It was amazing. It's done now. All right. I know you've seen Friday the fucking 13th. The last good one came out in like 1990 fucking eight. Halloween came out literally 10, 12 years before I was born. I know about Halloween. I know you know about Halloween. Everybody knows about fucking Halloween. All right. It stems from this tradition of letting everybody feel like they're part of the in-group. That's what it is. It used to be a nod to other great horror references, you know, masterpieces. It was, it was referential. But people do it now in this stupid fucking pop culture way where it's only the most banal surface references to shit. Like the, a fucking, like somebody referencing a doctor. Oh, he's like the Dr. Loomis of this this thing. He's the, oh my gosh, he, he's like uh, the... He's just pure evil, wink, 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 nudge, nudge, nudge. And then you'll have like one or two like random indie things nobody's ever fucking heard of. But like you don't even have like that good of a fucking horror background, man. Where the hell is your Rosemary's Baby? Where are my fucking Rosemary's Baby references? I don't give a fuck if it's from that pedophile Clancy. Uh, the movie itself is fucking awesome, all right? It's a great story. It's a great setup. It's fucking bizarre. Where are my references to the goddamn thing? And shit, if you're going to do cutesy fucking references and do deep ones, man, do blood tests. I love the fucking blood test. That's a great reference. Where's my fucking Jacob's Ladder references? The Japanese love it. Japanese motherfuckers reference goddamn Jacob's Ladder either intentionally or via V Silent Hill all the fucking time. And it's great every time because it's just stunningly visually mwah, perfect, you know? It's got such a fucking vibe. Where are my Geiger references? What happened to fucking wondrous 
horrific nightmare sex scenarios in these things that aren't even like really sexual. It's just gross and grimy and like extremely uncomfortable. No, all I get is this padded tongue in cheek. Don't worry. Don't worry. The blood's not real. The blood's fake bullshit from people. Like they're not, they're, they're, they're trying to fucking simultaneously do padded gloves and not offend anybody while also like living in the genre that exists to literally fucking fuck with people. And you don't have to go and pick on, you know, minorities and LGBT people and trans people to really get under people's skin. There's better ways, more fucked up shit that you can do. You know what I'm saying? Literally just fucking start watching Korean and Japanese movies. Minimum that whole, their entire fucking catalogs over there of like, I never saw that before. And it drives me fucking insane because I think it's like powered by this in just indomitable capitalist nightmare world where we just have to keep churning out same versions of some other person's shit. Like literally you can only just continually every, every fucking time you've got to submit to one of these moronic parasitic fuck boy agents, whatever. I don't give a fuck. They don't pay my goddamn bills. You guys do. Fuck them. If they want to sign me and make money, then now I'm fucking here. But until then, they can eat shit. Fuck them. Every time I see something from these fucking assholes in Manhattan, living it up, doing whatever the fuck, just gatekeeping the shit out of good art so that they can suck 10% off of uh, the, the another fucking replicant that they churn out of these MFA fucking workshops that everybody's paying 10, 15 fucking thousand dollars to go to. I would literally blow my brains out on my own fucking living room couch before I paid a dollar to have some fucking replicant, nobody popcorn flavored loser try to teach me how to write. I know how to fucking write. And if I don't, then I will die the failure I am. I cannot improve based on the suggestions of some other person, right? My flaws make me good. What is fucked up about me and broken and shit, that is the only thing that's me. If I wanted to write like you, I would just cut your fucking skin off and wear it around. And then I would, then I would be you. I would play pretend. I would, I would eliminate you and leave you in a fucking vat in the basement while I walked around in you leather, dancing about gaily in the sunshine, calling all of your friends, asking your girlfriend out on a date. Look how much more fun that was. There, there you go. There's a horror story. How about here's the movie. The guy kills a dude and becomes him. But he, everyone ignores the fact that he's clearly wearing this dude's entire skin like a gigantic onesie skin suit because he's so much more likable than the guy he killed. Boom. There you go. Two fucking seconds. There's just an idea. But no, all you ever get is this fucking, this, this, this bimodal mixture system where it's like, hey, uh, this book is like a stunning combination between Stephen King's The Shining and the best parts of Merle Haggard. Well, this story is like Agatha Christie meets Led Zeppelin. I don't know why I'm doing bands. This is kind of like if Friday the 13th met RuPaul's Drag Race, but with just a little bit of Alice in Chains mixed in. The last one's fucking fire, actually. Fuck that. that. That one's cool. But that was three things, too, so it didn't even fit as an example. 
but you just get this like replicant. And then they're like, Hey, you need to be, if you're trying to sell a book these days, what you need to be doing is getting online and looking up four or five people that like, who, who's selling, go write what they look like and then come back to us. Cause that's the only way that we're going to open up the gates. We're not going to take any risks on anything. Okay, cool. So you took two individual writers like 50 years ago, right? And we'll just say that these two writers are colors. This, this, this writer is red and this writer is blue. Okay, one guy mixed them together and made purple. Sick, dope. Then this other guy mixed that purple with red. Okay, well, that's just slightly more red purple. And then this guy mixed it with just he's green. And then they said, you know what? We like green and purple. So we just kept mixing green and purple back and forth and back and forth until we're left with this industry now that is just this puree of baby shit brown nothingness that, I mean, I have to dig and it is painful. I have to dig to my fucking armpits in it to find the single truffle of like a half good fucking book. I mean, like, Jesus Christ, fuck him. Nick Cutter, crushingly untalented. Crushingly untalented writer. Bad. Literally bad at putting words together. Fucking garbage. And I think everybody that liked that book was just taking Xanax on a flight, listening into it half a headphone and went, oh, worms in a boy's dick? That's fucking gross. There's nothing else to it. It's a fucking story I've heard a million times with just the subtlest the tiniest fucking tinge of difference in it, you know, just like, like there are no new things. It is just only old things over and over again. And sometimes, sometimes they almost fucking do it. Like, uh, what's that fuck's name that writes the uh, cabin at the end of the world? Whoever the fuck that guy is head full of ghosts, head full of ghosts was good. And then you could just feel, you could feel this fucking like we need to appeal to wine moms and I don't even know who Oprah book club want to be communist fucks, <laughs> not communist, just uh, corporate fucks. They just want to, they just want to reach in there and just strangle the little bit of goodness out of it. We really need to appeal to bloggers. So let's put a, let's put a fucking blog in this. That just sounds like shit. It reads like ass. It fucking ruins the entire pacing of it. And then I've been reading other stuff. I read one book. It was nothing in it. It was just nothing. I can't remember what the fuck was in the book. I listened to it while I was playing Subnautica, which is like saying I listened to it while I was driving through the fucking Serengeti. I was literally doing nothing while listening to it functionally. And I listen to stuff in the gym. And when it's good, it fucking slaps. Like, I refuse to believe that if I actually held these things in my hand, it would be any better. S.A. Cosby's the best horror recommendation I've gotten in fucking months. And it literally is not, by any stretch of the fucking imagination, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, really even speculative fiction at all. It's crime fiction. It probably could have happened if it didn't actually happen level fiction. Nothing is in remotely impossible in that book. You know what I'm saying? But it's still good. Why? Well-written. Interesting premise. I liked it. Black dude in for one last job. He lives in the fucking American South. So he's always already got a lot of fucking shit going for him. He's a fucking muscle car guy right? There's street races, shootouts, bank robberies gone wrong, and he's fucking going to lay down the hand of justice when somebody tries to betray him. Fuck yeah. That's so fucking American. I love the fuck out of that. It's great. Perfect even. A perfectly good book. 
not my genre. Not something I typically pick up, but you know what? I might even fuck with some more S.A. Cos because I swear to God, of all of the writers that I follow right now, one of the only tolerable ones. One of the only tolerable. And Jesus Christ, the online. Oh, my God. They're on Twitter. Blowing each other, like, fucking relentlessly. But, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the thing I was talking about, if you want to talk about references, references... In, 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 in at least horror movies. And, you know, the book people do this too because I get the feeling a lot of these books are meant to be, uh, they're meant to be turned into movies or whatever. And it's this whole fucking, uh, it's like a pipeline of shit getting flushed directly into the Pacific Ocean with just some panhandling dudes in, in, in linen suits and, and, and those, those yellow sunglasses that you only see people wear east or west of the fucking Mississippi just panhandling through just gallons, hectares of, of human shit for one fucking golden kernel of turd. And when they can't even find that, they just go for the whole nugs and spray them and turn them in at the end of some corporate board meeting. Hey, buddy, I bet you wouldn't. Do you understand what's going on right now? This is what, ha- what would happen if we introduced, imagine Marlboro cigarettes meets Old Tom Whiskey. All right, we get them together. They're going to do something crazy. Who knows what it is? It's like, it's going to give you fucking cancer, emphysema, and make you lose your job. (laughs) Even when they get a goddamn good fucking corn kernel, they got to replant the shit out of that fucking thing. And I guess people eat it up, but I think it's mostly because there is no other option. And I think they maintain that. The, The point isn't, the point is not to make good stuff or even to a, like, to maximize the amount of stuff that they make. It's to minimize people's access to different shit. And that's the most important thing to them. Because even though I can get on Amazon and stuff, I can't afford five grand, 5,000 fucking dollars in advertising and and public relations shit. Dude, I'd have to take a fucking lean out on my house to pay that shit. But that's what they can do. They pick one or two people. They see who's going to get to the fucking book club thing. Who is most, who is the most smoothest, unlined Hollywood ready person that we can find. And, and, and the author either has to either be the kind of person that would never talk about their work in public at all, just absolutely silent or just this prepackaged uh, fucking clown suited asshole of a human being. Who's just going to get up there and do fucking puns if they actually manage to get on Jimmy Kimmel. And like, they've only let one or two people do that. And most of them have King in their fucking last name. I swear to God. But like, Nope does a good job of this referential shit. You know what I'm saying? It, it can, it loves what it loves without it being like in the way. Like, I just don't even know how to explain this. Just if you're going to put something in, don't make it completely jarring unless that's the point of the show. Like with, with, with fucking, uh, Shaun of the dead, you know, when there's references, and stuff like that. And there's like a lot of them I don't even recognize because I didn't grow up in London in the 1970s. Like, uh, what's his name? Simon Pegg did and, and the writers or whoever the fuck. You know, I didn't grow up in London in the 1970s. So they have all kinds of music references and stuff, but I still appreciate them. And I feel like invigorated by the references because they seem like they're, you know, they're, they're it's incidental, I believe, to the point where they're like either they had a joke about the reference and were like, oh, fuck. I wonder if we can get that in. And you know that if they couldn't, they eliminated it. Hell yeah. Or um, they were just writing and like they went, oh no, like look, this is a pun for the name of that record. And then we can just throw records at them. Oh, 
Hell yeah. That sort of thing. You know, that's, that's great. I love that. I, that's, that's fucking awesome. Um, in Nope, there is a perfect Akira slide. And I almost shouted in the theater. I was like, ah, yeah, look, you did it. Because I, I've always wanted to see a good live action Akira slide where you can't see like any ropes or anything. And that's actually like sensible to the plot. Like there's a reason for this person to be doing an Akira slide. If you don't know what that is, just look it up. All right. It's deep, deep cut anime meme shit, but don't worry about it. But he gets it in there, you know, and there's a few other references to stuff, but most of it's like background shit. All right. The, the point of that whole story and why it's even good for this anyway, is that Nope is extremely aware of the meta. It, awareness of the meta is literally what the story is about. I, I'll probably spoil some shit. If you don't want to hear this, just turn the episode off. I, I, I don't care at this point. But the, the point of Nope is that it is a, a story about spectacle and people's self-exposure to uh, like the loss of dignity and, and uh, the kind of the glass separation, the fourth wall separation between like the primal and dangerous reality of the world and, you know, your viewing experience. And when that's broken, how dangerous that can be. And it sets up and defies expectations and like as a part of the plot. And it's very aware of what it's doing. It was an an intentionally crafted film. I think it's functionally, I would say perfect. I can't think of any problems that I had with it. And any problems that I do have with it, I think are almost intentional. I guess the the only ones I could say was there is a shoe sitting up on its edge in the chimpanzee thing. And that's never really gone into. But I think I like that too. I, I like the idea that in the midst of all of this bloody chaos, there was an unironically interesting thing happening that no one saw. Like an impossibility occurred. This kid witnessed a miracle right? It was a shoe defying gravity. It stands up on like its toe so that it can't fall. And while this chimpanzee, this is the spoiler. It's not even really a spoiler. Cause I think it's the first fucking scene of the movie. So, um, while this chimpanzee, it's on the set of a, like a nineties sitcom type deal. And the, there was a chimp in the show and a balloon popped and the chimp just started murdering everybody. It killed like two of the castmates and mutilated one. I think it chewed her face off. And then, um, like ran around and gets its head blown off at the end of that particular segment, which takes place at the beginning and end of the film. And during all of this, there's the kid notices that in the middle of the area, one of the women's shoes got kicked off. It's like a loafer and it's sitting up on its toe straight up and down like miraculously in the middle of all of this carnage. And there's no one else to see like the cameras, I guess maybe are running, but there's no one actually like there to witness with him this weird, odd, miraculous, nothing. Like it's not an, an extremely impressive thing, but it's just such a powerful curiosity that you can't, your eyes don't, yeah, everybody that's finished the movie is just like, what's up with that fucking shoe? And I like that. I like putting the shoe in. Fuck it. The shoe doesn't need to be explained either. Cause it's such a small thing. It's so insignificant that I think even like Jordan Peele, is a really good writer. All right. That doesn't mean I like all of his stuff. I thought us was pretty fucking mid. Honestly, it felt rushed. I feel like maybe somebody fucked with him while he was writing it or he was under contract to somebody and was just like, I'm going to get rid of this one. 
<laughs> fucking gone. Maybe he really, really loves it. And if you heard me say that, that would hurt his feelings. But I, I don't really give a fuck. I, I don't know him personally. And, and I, he can wipe his eyes with $10 million pretty casually. So, yeah, he's going to be fine. But he writes stuff pretty, pretty specifically and it's short you know you can really get the entirety of everything you want to say inside of a script and he's got a lot of people to help him with that too and so i i I think really that that shoe is just like a like a hey and even if they forgot about it and left it i still like it it's a good part of that scene because in the middle of all this surreality there is something that's even more surreal you know what i'm saying there's always a step beyond which i really really appreciate and I think also it kind of really led people astray to think that that was going to be the aliens in there. Cause every people knew it was like an aliens movie. Right. But you know, it, it gets deeper, but you know, the, the whole thing as a, as a talk about spectacle and how, how people consume media is pretty great. Like start to finish. There are characters. I mean, really it can be summed up how good it is about talking about media in the reaction of one, uh, Logan Paul. If you guys don't know who Logan Paul is, don't worry about it. He's, uh, notorious blogger type guy um, who nobody likes. Uh, I think he's actually made a couple movies on his own and they are uh, nothing burgers like made for YouTube. No one's ever talked about them and no one ever will. But like, you know, I, I guess if you have access to 12 year olds and you can tap the 12 year old market, you can just have all of the money you want and you just kind of play chicken with showing kids your dick, like that level of like disgusting behavior like how close, how close can I get kids to like permanent psychological damage or um, just a, just a, like a, a, a necessity of multiple years of therapy to get them out of the bad exploitative behavior that um, I foisted upon them? How, how many kids can I exploit for their parents' credit cards numbers so that I can sell merchandise to them and make them think that they're going to be lonely and, and unlovable without it? How can I sell a lifestyle to a child? Um, that could potentially ruin that child's future prospects at the call with such callous disregard because it shall I make that bank. That's how, that's how he is. And he hated the shoe. He hated the monkey, the chimpanzee scene because it didn't make any sense to him. But most importantly, he, he didn't understand the, the white guy um, and the, the TMZ guy, which is like, projection almost i feel like he did get it but he didn't so there's two characters to talk about one of them's a a semi-major character semi-major supporting character and the other one's just a minor uh almost you could even say like an uncredited or accredited extra level of a character i'll talk about the uh the long form one first because then i can talk about the short one and that'll kind of wrap things up i think in the discussion and and then i won't have to get too deep into like the, the the deep core spoilers of nope so the one guy is a, uh, the best director, a white guy, gravelly voice, take no shit, extremely wealthy dude. Right. Which I always, I always appreciate. And I don't know if Peel does this on purpose, but I think he does. Cause I, we, my, my wife was just watching. Um, she was just watching key and Peel. She's watching through it right now. Cause she's never saw it. And, uh, they did a sketch about how just completely divorced from reality uh, Jaden Smith is and how like just wealth prolonged exposure to wealth and especially being raised in wealth will just completely detach you from existence. 
which I, I also believe, I think that's fundamentally true. Like you just don't know. Like a lot of people haven't actually seen the world without the handrails. I have, I've been into the world without handrails. I spent a whole 20 months of my life in it and it was horrible, but it's also extremely open. You know what I'm saying? No rules, kill or be killed. Society doesn't exist. You could die at any moment. You could probably do anything that you can think of to somebody against someone and like just get away with it because you're above. There is no law to be above. It's just you're outside of like reality that other people feel societal constraint. Not that I did anything like that. Jesus Christ. But you kind of get it. You, you understand the feel like it wasn't until I was in Iraq for a little while and we were kind of like out there and we hit like a vibe. And I, I don't know if I think one of my friends brought it up and they were just like, I get war crimes. Like I didn't understand them until now. And we started talking about it. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. You could do anything out here. And the thought that there's even like, you could go home one day and there would be people that even exist to judge you is insane. And some people just like live in that. And for some people that's a delusion. If you're in America, you know, in a general sense and some people it's not, but like, the closer and closer you get to that, to the, to, to, to where it's all thin and there's no, there's no padding and no handrails, the more you can see of the world. And, you know, just growing up poor, you can see the existence just past the handrail. You're like literally being pressed into it. But for somebody that's extremely rich, you know, you don't even see that part. You're, you're in the center of, of the construct, like padded. You live inside a, a ball of feathers, gently floating from one place to the next. I think literally, along with that metaphor I just made, they literally talk about how he doesn't, Jane Smith doesn't understand the outside as in the place that's not inside of limousines when he's, uh, when he's traveling. <laughs> so this director is like that. Now, if you are a typical white person, especially, or especially any person of privilege, this director, and you haven't been around people and you haven't worked for people, this director will seem like an extremely capable competent, gruff, fatherly type guy, but he is, and I can tell because I've existed in a slightly different context than other people. And I think other people will. And I think Peel directly made him like this. This is an extremely unwell individual, extremely unwell, very detached from the true reality of things. He lives in an imaginary version of that. And he thinks because he makes fake images, he knows the difference between the fake and the real, even though he doesn't because he's rich. He can't. So this dude is a director. They meet on the set of a commercial, which is also kind of like a, you know, all right, he's directing commercials too, but you know, he's the best, best ever. Like he's not, he kind of, he still, he, he, his, his, uh, aura does not exist above the physical manifestation of him in the world kind of deal. So he's, they meet on the set of a commercial, uh, the main character's guy gets fired, whatever. So this guy, when he's on his off time, you see him when they start encountering the extraterrestrial creature type deal that's in the movie. What he does in his free time, even when I think he's at a hotel, is he just watches grainy 1950s 
like Nat Geo footage of animals killing each other over and over again. Tigers taking out gazelles, uh, snakes wrapping up alligators, short clipped, um, like vibey scenes. You know what I mean? It's like literally. And, and if you're watching him like that, you might think he's cool if you don't have like, if you don't have the vibe, but I've known this guy before and these people are very unwell. It actually reminds me extremely of a dude who was on my first deployment, uh, whose name I, I won't say because he's still like, he's around, he's out of jail now, but he used to, uh, talk to his gun every night. He would talk to his gun and he would stare at his gun and, and he got it Christmas presents and wrapped it up in a bow and would talk to it like it was a real person. And then of course he just arbitrarily murdered an Iraqi policeman after a firefight for no reason. People saw him. He just shot the guy to death. Um, he was taken out of combat after that and put into prison for like four or five years. And then he's out now, but, um, very unwell. This guy has that same vibe. It's like, if imagine, and no one should be watching something that's that non-interactive that intently. He's like a guy. He's trying to find meaning in functionally violent pornography. You know, uh, the most intimate act I feel like beyond the simple intimacies of like sex and, and romance is like murder and consumption. You know, that's the, the kind of opposite side, the opposite and more, unbelievably permanent hand of, of connection between two things, killing it and then eating it, you know? And that's the, that's the primal that's animalistic. We do it every day, but we don't kill it and eat it. You know, that separation kind of deviates it from us. And so like, you know, this is a dude that would be on the Joe Rogan podcast like seven times. If Joe Rogan could get him that, that he's, he's that, he's that kind of dude. He has a vibe that really appeals to people that, also want to see past the guardrails, but feel like they can't, but feel like there's something super valuable to be gained beyond there, which I don't think is really all that true. And I don't think a lot of people should go there. I don't think that once you've passed beyond that and gotten those experiences that it can really give you anything more than a powerful desire to maintain more strongly the guardrails and more strictly the, the requirements for going past them. I, I, there is no value to seeing the world through the most primal of eyes. They are something that we passed beyond. It's really a diminishment, but I think once you've seen down into that, maybe you can try to articulate going up. And I guess that's what I'm sort of doing now. So this guy watches this violent pornography, basically, constantly. Little clips, black and white, monochromatic green and red flashes on his face. And he's watching this through a view screen. It's like fucking uh, six inches total. And just breathing heavy. And you can hear, even behind him in the scene, I believe, the... Uh, Converse, like the voices of people having like conversations. He might have even been at a party and he just goes in there to like vibe with his, his fucking murder machine, you know, and just try to get into it. And I think for him, what he thinks in his mind, this character is that he can gain a deeper and more secret knowledge, a, 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 a more powerful and visceral sight through the experience of this death, you know, this spectacle, he thinks the spectacle invigorates 
or maybe even elevates, you know, it makes him powerful. And as the director, you know, he becomes the eye through which other people see. So if he can bring that to other people, maybe he can invigorate them. And so he's always talking about the shot. You need the shot, which is a thing that they say in Hollywood. You know, you get the shot. Everybody says that. I I fucking said that in journalism. Like, dude, I got the shot, which means like, that's the one we're running with. That's the cover. That's the, that's the thing people are going to be talking about. That's the moment, you know, that's got people fucking hooked. And so he dies <laughs> intentionally in the movie. Um, he, he brings along a long story short, there's a UFO and the UFO is actually an animal, an extraterrestrial animal. It's fucking huge. The size of maybe like a small public school kind of deal. And, um, it's actually a small chunk inside a basically a long package of like 32 ish, um, flat tendrils that are prehensile and can kind of fold around it and, and stuff. And those things are work with some sort of electromagnetic force inside of this thing to bring food into its mouth. And it's basically just a, a, a feeder, right? Um, very similar. I, th- I think it would, it would be like a filter feeder if you compared it to real animals in the wild. It doesn't really hunt hunt. It hunts like a starfish does where it kind of just goes to places and, and then sucks them up. It's got some speed to it, but relative to its size, I think you would say, and it's, it's, it's area. It's not exceptionally fast. Um, I would say it's actually fairly slow given the amount of size and kind of terrain it should have to cover. I don't know how to explain this better, but I think that's actually a, uh, like a relative size measure for, um, size to speed measure in, in geology, not geology, ecology, ecologists, whatever the fuck, uh, not ecologist either. What is animalology? I can't remember. I'll, I'll, I'll get it back. I got brain damage. I'm sorry. But you know, basically the size of the animal relative to its hunting range and the amount of time it takes to cover its hunting range is it's like true speed. You know what I'm saying? So like you would say a, uh, like this, like a starfish or like something that like a starfish is slow, but in relative to the way that it eats and how it hunts, it's actually fairly fast. Now, if you just do gross, you know, like non-relative, like comparisons, yeah, you got like the peregrine falcons going like 200 miles an hour or whatever the hell when it dives, but relative to its, its hunting area, it's, it's pretty normal speed, you know, because it's, it's hunting over the course of many, 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 many miles. Still faster than this thing. This thing doesn't move that quick at all. Relatively, I think you can, well, you can't outrun it in a car because it kills cars, but I think it's max speed. If I had to guess, it's slowly, slowly gains on a horse at a gallop, which is like 45, 55 miles an hour, I think. So it's probably going, it's max speed is probably about 65, 70 miles an hour, which, you know, fast, right? But I don't know how much energy that expends for it and stuff. And you know, who knows? Maybe it's, maybe it's even faster and I'm being crazy, but um, this is completely pointless. Anyway, the white director dude, he gets up there and they're watching it hunt. So they got to catch it and they know it's going to go fast. It lives up in the clouds and then it kind of comes down, vacuum stuff up and goes, eats horses, eats people, eats whatever. And so this guy, once they get the shot, he goes crazy, not crazy. He doesn't go crazy. He just goes himself and he runs out and purposefully attracts the creature 
because he doesn't think that that shot is sufficient enough and gets eaten and takes video of the inside of basically video of himself and then like falls apart at the end and, you know, he's screaming and like, Oh, I'm getting fucking eaten and tries to video himself basically being devoured by the creature, which kind of speaks to the, the nature of his perversions. You know, is he to devour? Is he, is he, is he the devourer? Which I, I really like, I feel like you could talk about that character a lot more than, uh, than, than one Logan Paul might think, but the, um, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And everyone's like, he's fucking crazy. But, but I really like him diving into it because that, that's a, a reoccurring motive in the thing. The monkey that everybody thinks they're, they have under control and that they have plans for goes crazy and kills whoever's working with it. The um, audience at one point that arrives to watch the UFO show that's put on by the kid that survived the monkey massacre um, also get eaten they get they get devoured the thing changes up it's 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 repetition and and it attacks and uh they all get eaten up they get sucked up women children it's fucking monstrous everybody get and they all die they get squished and bled out because the thing is choking to death and it has to like basically constrict its entire eating passage to uh blow out what's obstructing it and then also the people that it just ate and it squishes them out all over this house, like and vomit is dopey shit, super metal, but, um, they get eaten. And the best thing about that is, is not only is the kid that survived that one massacre there, but also the, uh, woman now woman, the girl at the time who was his co-star, whose face got ripped off. Even she goes to see this, which is perfect because they are, they don't learn, you know what I'm saying? They, they, the, the spectacle and the capitalist pursuit of wealth fundamentally, you know, um, is, is, is the heart of this story. And, you know, the amount of danger to the animals, the amount of danger to the people is just like, it, it, it always comes second fiddle. The main character goes out and purposefully taunts the thing so that they can get the shot of it. Uh, he's the most balanced. He has the most respect for it too. Uh, he treats it like an animal, which is, I think, important um there is like talk during it of you know the the difference between treating people like people and and animals as animals and there's kind of like a subtext you know because this guy is a um his name's oj yeah um his name's oj and his sister's name i can't remember i remember his name because they make a joke about it because oj simpson you know whatever but him and his sister are the the children of a 
guy that's had like the longest running horse company in um Hollywood or Hollywood adjacent areas. So they, they it's been going on forever and they do show horses type of deals and run around. And so uh OJ is not very good in front of a camera and stuff and his sister kind of is and along with that kind of comes the like there's a subtext to it of just the presence of black people alongside animals inside of Hollywood, you know, and just kind of like how they were not just portrayed, but how they were allowed to interact with the industry as a whole, what their value was to it. As they say, and it's something I didn't even realize that, or I didn't know. I knew that the clip was what it was, but I just didn't know what was in it because it's fucking grainy as shit. But the first video ever recorded is of a black man riding a horse. It's like a seven frame uh, movie to the the entire the entirety of the horse's one gallop is the entirety of the movie and that's the first uh what we consider the first motion picture and so that family kind of descended from i think i don't know if they descended but they might have named it after i i can't remember there's a whole little speech about it but they have a, a very strong connection um multi-generational connection to that little scrap of film and and stuff but obviously, if you just even think multi-generational black family working in Hollywood, like, you know, what's going on and shit. And you can really just kind of see how like solo they are and kind of how distant and kind of how like not really taken seriously as much as, you know, the other people that are on set. And so like it kind of sets the pace for the movie. This uh, white actress who's definitely past the prime of her career. She's an older woman and doing like, I think a dog food commercial or a pet something commercial and the horse is in the commercial and the horse is really the star kind of, in my opinion. I mean, I always think this animal is the star of almost any scene they're in because they're just vibing. You know, they're really doing a great portrayal of an animal. They're fucking perfect actually. But, you know, he's in there and all she, all he's going to do is like she's going to give a little speech next to him and stuff. And he doesn't get any notice at all, even though he's not just like an animal and like her co-star technically, but also like, you know, potentially extremely dangerous. He's given no attention. There's not really a good like safety briefing that goes on along him. No one's paying attention to the handler. But then this white woman kind of comes out and she's lauded and praised. Okay, everybody. Everybody, can can we just put our hands together? Oh my God, there she comes. It's Susan is on set. Everybody, blah, 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 blah. Applause, applause, applause. And the lady walks out. Oh, I didn't even expect this. Blah, 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 blah. And that makes the horse nervous and shit too. But it is, you know, just a lack of priorities. And, And the lack of, a lack of priorities, a lack of dignity and respect um, not just like, you know, human respect, but real, just like respect for power and potential danger that really sets this movie off. And it really sets the stage for this film. And it's all right there. Obviously the horse is spooked and it thankfully kicks a, a sandbag that's weighing down part of the set instead of knocking the lady's head off. But I mean, it could have, you know, you could have brained her and she'd be fucking dead as doornails and they bring in a fake, they bring in a fake horse to replace the real one. As an aside, real quick, before I get us, one thing I love about this film, and I absolutely love, and if you don't know, I know a ton about animals and movies because I've read a shitload of it, especially after Cannibal Holocaust, about like what it's like to have animals and movies and stuff and what's good and bad for them. And I did notice in this film, there are almost no mixed shots, I guess you would call it, of the horses, right? 
There's no horse stunts almost at all. The horses are always allowed to just stand still where they are. They just hang out. They just vibe. Or um, if they ride and they run, they run one real quick run that gets hit from 15, 16 different angles. And a lot of the time, I'm pretty sure it's a stunt rider on the back who's going to be more comfortable with the animal shot from behind. And it can just do a real long, big run. And then there's some where the horses are actually doing crazier shit, but the horses don't have riders on them and they're kind of just running around with each other in a big stable. And that kind of shows off like the fury and like the intensity of them, which is juxtaposed when all the times where they're with humans, they're either kind of running in a straight line or um, standing still, which if you don't know is really good for them relative to like filming. Um, horses legs are actually extremely fragile, you know, and a lot of the horses that you see in film and TV are of certain types and like American thoroughbred horses are what people show. I I can't remember all of this exactly, but basically the kind of horses that run fast and run pretty, um, are not the best horses to carry people. That's why jockeys are so small. You know, you want them really, really light. And if they do turning or even just a lot of hard running, on uneven, potentially dangerous surfaces, they can snap their ankle and that ankle will be, they're done. That's a lamed horse and they have to be put down, which is very unfortunate. And so I noticed this. I feel like I'm right. I mean, it would be the biggest oversight, but they used the minimal amount of horse and animal stuff that they could. The The scene with the chimp is completely in CG um, I'm going to guess that they got fucking what's his name that plays Gollum and all those things. Andy fracas or Andy Ramis Rackus. I can't remember the hell his name is, uh, to play the monkey because that guy plays everything. He's not a monkey. It's an ape. It's a chimpanzee. Chimpanzee's an ape. You know, it's an ape. Um, but they, they did a very good job of working with all of the, uh, animal talent, which I really respect. So I feel like that's kind of a point to be made too, is, if you watch other stuff that has animals in it, you know, these horses are doing all kinds of crazy shit. They're making them kip up. They're doing them in big tight turns and stuff, rolling them around, bouncing them against other horses, putting them in a lot of like really intense situations. But this horse is like literally in the most intense situations. And I really don't think the vast majority of audiences will notice how safe they were being with those horses and how much respect they were showing them. And I hope that that is kind of like a Jordan Peele, like side eye to the industry. Like I could put horses in my stuff and they're not in any trouble. So I don't know what's wrong with uh, you guys losing a few horses on the set of your movie. That's, you know, pretty, pretty unforgettable. (laughs) I love his voice, by the way. I hope, um, I hope in the future people do Jordan Peele impressions because he's got a really like, he's got kind of an iconic voice and delivery that I think people haven't caught on to yet because you don't get to hear him talk, but in interviews, he's got like a good little, a little Bob and weave to it. He's actually, (laughs) his, uh, his Obama that he does in key and Peele is actually pretty close in register and pacing to his own voice where I don't think he, you know, he just had to do that classic, uh, Obama pause and then talk type deal. God, it's been fucking six years since I've even tried to do an Obama voice because it's just, he's not president anymore. So there's no point of it, but I, I do. I fucking love 
I, I, I love voices. I, I, I take, I take no, no criticisms from my doing voices of other people, as long as they're being like very respectful and, and Jordan Peele's voice is fucking great. I, I love his cadence. His delivery is amazing. Um, but the, um, yeah, I, I think he put that in there. The way he treats those horses. Nice. is kind of a glib, like, Hey, Hollywood, not only can you have animals in movies, you should, but you need to be, exceptionally respectful of them and then you can be safe which is a good like subtext to the movie underneath all of the spectacle thing but the last character i would talk about would be the tmz guy and even when he comes on they say oh shit it's tmz fucking awesome and like uh the tmz dude uh drives up and he has the perfect costume it is the ideal and i love it because i swear to god Maybe Logan Paul's actually a genius. He might actually be like a genius or he's one of those things where it's like everything that is opposite of what he thinks is perfectly correct because he was like, what is up with this guy's outfit? His outfit's fucking ridiculous. So this TMZ guy shows up. He's on an electric bike shooting into the, this is like a, they live in the desert, right? Out in like fucking, I don't know, Palomino or whatever the hell. California. If you're from California, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Uh, Riverside. They probably live in Riverside out near Riverside area. Just desert, but not a hundred percent desert. They got a little bit of that. What you Californians call like trees in the area. I don't know what the fuck the horses eat, but they're out there and uh, it's pretty, pretty rough terrain and shit. And he drives out and he's, you never see his face. He's wearing a full body silver motorcycle suit and has a full face helmet on that is perfectly silver reflective with a tiny little black circle where his right eye is so that he can look through his camera. And he has this fucking six camera rig. I think there's actually like four on it with like a main, like a DSLR main, a backup DSLR, his actual like live streaming uh, cell phone on it. And then like, I think maybe just like three or four like mics too might be rounding out what else I saw on it. It's all in this big rig that's on his hand, like a fucking, it's like a claw, like a tree monster's claw kind of sticking at you. It's just absolutely absurd. He's like, Hey man, don't you want to be on TV? He's got this like coked up everything everywhere all the time type, you know, like cocaine energy to him. And he's just way too intense. And Obviously, he tries to go get the shot of the thing, and the thing, if it's close, the the extraterrestrial whatever. Um, oh shit! What do they call him? Oscar or something? I can't remember. Jasper. I, I, the the first their first animal that they had their first horse that um, uh, OJ trained is what they name him. It might be like checkers or corduroy. It might even be like a shirt material pattern patches i can't remember but um the the it's multi-syllabic that's the best i can do but anyway they named the 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 et that and the guy tries to go get a picture of whatever the hell is going on he's actually trying to get to the uh ranch down the road which is they're both inside of this uh this big ass coulee and um at the back of it is where the other ranch is where the 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 et has been eating people um, and completely cleared out this entire town and all the horses and shit that were in it too. But not the one pig. The pig was on the roof. 
Uh, and he drives down there and the closer he gets, uh, the when he gets close enough, actually all of his electronic devices kick out and it throws him off of his, uh, bike. And, you know, they try to go get him before the animal can, and all you got to do is look away from it and then just kind of like get the hell away. And you can, uh, kind of like avoid getting eaten by it in a general sense. As long as you're not inside of its gigantic cone of like eating suck up space. So this guy all the way to the end is just going, did you get a shot? Did I get the shot? Just pick my camera up, get the shot. You got to get the shot. And that's really it. He's like a one eyed monster. And they call the thing in the sky, one eyed, one arm, flying purple people leader. They do a whole like big fucking ghostly rendition of that song. And like one eyed, one horned thing, you know, one eyed, like a camera, obviously. So this guy is just this, he's just like this amoebic creature, like literally, even though he's a human being, he is like a single celled organism. And like, that's one of the other great things about this entire deal is like, I feel like my man, Jordan Peele is about fucking Nat Geo. Like he is, he's, he's a fucking organic, like the, the fucking, the greater world, uh, God damn it. Ecology head anthro anthropology. That's people. What are fucking phonology? No, I can't remember what the hell I, I know what I'm supposed to be saying, but he's just big into like the Nat Geo, just all studying all the animals and knowing shit. Because like, as a person that also studies, not just like normal animals, but like really archaic, um, kind of like creepier deep sea monsters and stuff. Mostly yeah, cause Hey, I'm going to be a fucking horror writer. I need to know about some stuff. That's not just like goddamn tiger. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I really appreciate the amount of research he did because I really, really like that shit. And the whole thing is like a microcosm of just basically you could imagine this entire same story playing out with different types of animals in just a small chunk, like a small crater of, of like a deep sea trench with a bunch of organisms that are like that thing that I was talking about is maybe the size of your palm at best and everything else is down there, which I'll get to. But this guy is just like this fucking like, like almost like a feeder fish too. If you've ever seen like a little, like a minnow, like a feeder fish minnow, it's all silver with that one black eye when you kind of look at it. Same sort of thing. And of course this guy gets sucked up and killed. I like that one great thing about this is that whatever is wrong up with the creature's interior is that it amplifies and slightly distorts the noises that happen inside of it to people. And so when people are screaming or a horse is screaming, you can hear it amplified and sort of reverberated out of it. So it's like, I, I really appreciate it. Um, even if maybe nobody else does, but it is, it's fire. And, uh, Oh, what was I saying? Yeah, so that guy gets eaten, and I really like him, and I, I get it. If you think about him and the, the white guy character, specifically, um, uh, they are they are participants in the movie in a way that the two main characters, OJ and his sister, kind of aren't. They are they are like protagonists, right? But there is a feeling that really, like, they play it very safe. That's kind of the nope. That's what nope is, you know? Like, no, I'm not gonna... I don't need to look a second time. I don't need to make the gigantic risk. I, I, I can, I'm fine with watching from a distance is really the nature of their two characters. And so they're always 
unless they've chosen to or somebody else has made a mistake or it's like big heroics time, they are always a little, they're always away from the action when other people are being killed. And usually they can see it happen to a degree or they're aware of it happening, which always gives them enough time to run away or hide. And they approach cautiously if they have to approach with like respect and like a, a deep concern for the dignity of whatever the fuck it is that they're getting closer to. Cause they don't even know, you know, and I, I appreciate that. So they are simultaneously like the, the main characters of the story and also like a little distant from all of the events that happen compared to everybody else who <laughs> just gets injured or murdered, you know, by this fucking thing. And at the end, they both emerge, I think, functionally speaking, fully unscathed. Like they're just good. Um, and then there's, they got a one other friend who's also good, but you know, these, these fucking white characters die. And I, you know, I don't know. I don't actually know if the dude inside of that, uh, inside of that, that motorcycle suit is white, is a white guy. I mean, I can only just assume, but I mean, I, I guess it does speak to, cause also, uh, Ken Young plays the character that is the uh, former child star that also gets eaten. And, you know, he's, uh, he's Korean. So, you know, whiteness specifically, um, isn't like what's on fucking, you know, what's on trial, but it, it is like an, an almost, but not quite, um, established high, like, um, superarchy, like a, like a, this like group of people that, you know, exists. And like, you want to say like oh, white people, white, this is white people shit, but it's really not. Cause almost anybody can be a part of it. And I think what it really is, is the privileged speculator, you know, or the privileged, the privileged spectator who can from a distance or what they believe is in a, 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 from a distance observe. And so they don't believe once they've crossed to the other side of the glass that the perverse intimacy and that the intrusions that are, are, are created by the, the first filming, they don't feel like they are, susceptible to them. You know what I'm saying? They feel privileged to watch and to watch is their privilege in kind of a, a circular logic way inside of their head. So the thought, the possibility that they could pass beyond the relative safety of the glass past the fourth wall and be harmed is, uh, it's unimaginable to them. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like seeing the guardrails as we were talking about be ripped off all of a sudden. And then you're just out there without any like training or, or understanding of how to conduct yourself. And really that entry into the, uh, to, to the, to, to, to the savage world where the old rules apply the inferior, but extremely strict and extremely violently enforced rules apply and are inarguable. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you told like, and I think is it's, this is a thing too. Um, and you know, this might be me kind of going on a fucking run, but it, this is something I do know about, um, the way black people were treated in America is that you used to not be able to look a, a white person in the eyes. I mean, there's still probably places where you can't do it, but for a long time in America, like 150, 200 years, like you could get fucking killed, like on the spot for just meeting somebody's eyes. And so there's a, a thing in like black culture about like looking down at the ground, like, you know, kind of keeping your eyes down and stuff. And that also goes with keeping your head down. And so like 
you can kind of tell that existence with OJ being like, Hey man, I'm out here in the normal world. Like I wouldn't just, if something's authority was imposed to me against me and in, in the, the typical world on, on the right side of the guardrails, I wouldn't just stare at the ground, but his absolute obedience to the rules once he's on the other side and he knows like you can't look at the monster. If the monster, if you look directly at it, it'll attack. It knows you're looking at it and hates eyesights. He looks down with a very, in in like a very like, you know, uh, demure, not demure. That's the fucking wrong way, but in a very, very respectful, um, kind of almost like, you know, like prostrate way, like the way you would look away from God kind of stuff and with an absolute respect for the animal and for the rules of being around that animal. It's, it's, it's a hundred percent subservience to that rules. And that keeps him alive because he's on the other side of the guardrail. You know, that's the old guard. It's the horrible way of living, but he knows that cause he's close to it and he has respect for it. And I, I think that that's like a really intense moment. And like, I, I vibe with it. Like I saw when he like did that, like I got it. I was just like, Oh shit. He looked down, down, you know, no fucking around, no blinks, no, no, even, uh, subtle eye movement to look up. He focused on a rock on the ground, shoulders up, head, neck bent 90 degrees, literally down on the ground. And I I feel like it would take some coaching to get certain people to understand that way, what they mean by like, don't look, you know what I'm saying? And, and that is also goes into the speculation thing because, you know, if you told any person on the street, you know, don't look, do not look, behind you like don't look behind you at all like they're gonna be like okay whatever the fuck you know they that the possibility of looking at something and it harming you is alien even to us that's the most alien thing that can be harmed by something by looking at it kind of deal but he can live in that world and i think that there is uh you know and i i'm you know at a certain point i'm a fucking white dude reading into shit i'm probably fucking wrong i don't know uh, whatever I'm, I'm being a fucking pick me, I guess who gives a fuck, but I have a lot of respect for it. You know, I've read a, lot, a ton of this shit and I'm like, okay, Hey, I, I kind of see some, I kind of see some stuff that I think are like really interesting, small details that are, are referential to, to bigger stuff. And I mean, they tell you at the beginning of the story, how big small details are. And I really appreciate that. Um, but just uh, as another aside, I guess, I guess I am going to talk about nope a lot. One thing I fucking love about this movie is the uh, microcosmic organic feel of this valley. It is very much an ecosystem. And there are rules in the ecosystem that are just amazing. I love a horror movie with rules. Um, I, I, I dislike more a horror movie or book or a horror production without rules. If anything can fucking happen and shit just occurs, who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? But like this has rules and it sticks to them and it feels very natural because the, the rules have direct reactions to them. There are, there are perp, there's purpose to things. There's purpose to movements and a lot of it mirrors real life stuff. So in this, um, this, this world, the thing is very clearly an obligate carnivore, very clearly an obligate, obligate carnivore. It's, it's stomach literally does not have the ability to digest, um, non-organic material, you know, and it hunts specifically living things. Doesn't eat any trees or anything, 
and it can digest the, that organic stuff, but it can't digest like the non-organic metallic shit and it spits it all out and stuff. So it has a very specific diet system and its diet system can get impinged. There's actually a point where he sets out a decoy horse and it eats that because it can see. So that's how he teaches him, teaches himself. Uh, OJ teaches himself whether or not, you know, what kind of senses this thing has. So if he puts out a decoy that is cold makes no noise um and but is horse shaped obviously the sense that that thing can use to find it has to be based on sight possibly echolocation type deal but i don't think so cuz it doesn't really make a lot of noise when it moves maybe but um considering the way that it moves um uh, it, it's a very straight directional thing i feel like from what i understand most echolocation uh based life form type things, they move in a, a zigzaggy sort of pattern on approach so that they can uh, get the most parallaxis because sound can only vibrate back and forth one way. I mean, I guess if you have two hearing organs, you know, you'll, you'll be good, but I don't think the way that that thing's body is constructed, I don't think it's hearing organs unless they would move would, would benefit from binaural sound. And also if it goes in and out of earth's atmosphere, if it's actually alien um, radiation detection, light-based radiation detection especially is going to be much more valuable than something that relies on, uh, you know, compression waves to tell where you are. So I, I just like the thought that's going on, going into that. Maybe it is just, it can see, <laughs> but I really do think that he put a lot of thought into this because it gets even better. So like they go through the, the people of course are also, they are prey animals, omnivorous, I guess you would say prey animals. They, they eat, uh, leavings from that thing kind of in, in, in a spiritual sense, they absorb the radiation off its body and, and, and feel good because they saw a picture of itself and that's what they want. They want from it, it's leavings. It's just like, just a picture of it, a sight of it and it wants to eat them. So it's kind of this, uh, enclosed ecosystem. And then once the ecosystem is breached, um, it'll be destroyed, which is what they have. That's the timer, you know? So once anything else, basically the, the more powerful organism, more than just individual humans sort of trying to take a picture of this thing while this thing tries to feed off of them, which is why I think very strongly of like a deep oceanic trench where things are mutually predatory or uh, mutually semi-predatory, like something eats parasites that can also parasitize it type deal. But once the much larger alpha, probably alpha organism, considering how easy this thing was to kill once a little bit more advanced technology came in, it's going to die when, and that is just the largesse of humanity that doesn't give a fuck. You know, uh, once the government knows, I, I don't think this thing would be able to do much against an A-10 Thunderbird, just fucking that, that that's new. That that's going to be a new and novel thing for it to try to survive. And it eats a balloon at some point and kills itself. So that's that. But it, 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 all these, these, these fucking transfers are, are just amazing. And so it, uh, okay. Yeah. So it, it hunts. Right. And like I said, it's actually kind of like a cuttlefish in my opinion. I think it's extremely like a cuttlefish or, or something that's like a very primitive version of one. Cause it has its tendrils and inside the tendrils is a main body and the main body has a squarish eye sort of thing. And when it wants to try to, when it, it, it does threat displays toward the end when it's wounded, um, basically, and the end chase is where you get to really see the organics of it come out. 
they use like every prey animal technique on this thing. And it's fucking awesome. And if you don't know that much about prey animals, you probably wouldn't know this, but, um, to make it look like it's, he's looking at him. Uh, OJ puts eyes on the back of his hood that are retractable fake eyes. So there are animals that can do that. There's a ton of animals that can do that where they can mirror looking at something or even looking like a bigger animal from behind. It also has, they use a uh, big inflatable parachute with, um, what do you call it? A uh, little, uh, you know, it's those things that like pinions or whatever you call it, the little tiny flags, little pennant flags that you would see at like a car dealership. They use one of those and, and blow it up and it becomes like a detachable tail slash maybe like a poison type thing where the thing eats it, you know, and it's like, oh shit, this is a, this is a poisonous mon, this is a poisonous animal and like the detachable leg type thing of it, or even just a, a minor threat display where you pop up and look bigger than you are and it scares it off. It literally and retreats in a perfect, like really the people that animated the move, the, the monster are fucking money on the spot with just studying different animals and reactivity. And just, you can sense a, a, a serious, you can sense the mind behind the creature that's moving it because you can see it take in the information, process it, hesitate and then immediately react and, and, and fly off. And then you can see it readjusting itself and then perfectly toward the end um, it's wounded and then starts to understand that there are other things going on and it's afraid, which I think people, some people that watch this don't get, I understood it immediately because I watched a lot of shit about, animals that live in the fucking bottom of the ocean. So it makes sense. So it actually opens itself up and makes itself much larger. So the whole time it looks like a UFO with a little hole in the bottom and that's, it's kind of like feeding chute and it sucks things up in there. It moves based on sort of like an electromagnetic system. Cause that's what shuts out everything else. But these tendrils can also um, kind of flex. And I wonder if that's connected to the uh, electromagneticness of it too, but they also seem to kind of hold air to a degree. And I don't know if that's intentional on the creature's part or not, because maybe it hunts on earth a lot and maybe it hunts in multiple different ecosystems throughout the universe and are oxygen heavy air heavy, but very placid ultimately atmosphere fucks with it in a certain way. I don't know. Maybe it could hunt underwater. You don't know, which is very interesting to me, but it has its like main eye or maybe mouthpiece, or it might be both, which is this green thing that kind of and changes colors and it unfolds. And the whole thing starts going in these big, uh, squarish ripples, which is just, it's absolutely, it's a fucking threat display. And I was watching it in the theaters just going like, fucking awesome like perfect perfect like like because there's monster movies and like creature movies and stuff where it'll be ended at the end and like nothing's more dangerous than a wounded beast but this is a thing that has been feeding in a basically uncontested predator-free environment and just eating its fill a little weirded out by what it's been eating some of it's been strange and then one time it chokes and it's like, oh, fuck, I can choke on this shit. I can't eat that. Ugh. 
So it's curious now about the local flora and fauna and what it can and can't eat. So anything that looks like that, that's the other reason you know that it's colors and that it can see uh, basic visible radioactive spectrum light uh, or electromagnetic spectrum light, which is also interesting because like if it travels on electromagnetics, does the... Uh, does the like the light that passes through it? Is that altered? How, how, you know, whatever. I, I, I digress. I digress. And it eats with that too. It sucks things up. <laughs> Fucking cool. But it starts doing this threat display, and it rearranges its tendrils into this huge thing, and shows off its like little main area, and like it's wiggling. And as they're moving kind of around it, kind of trying to distract it a little bit and get it to go here and go there and go away from each other, it flips back and forth. And the flying form, when even when it adapts to its, uh, you know, when it can move, which one of the main reasons you can tell that it adapts the uh, flying saucer form is because it's very aerodynamic in, in our atmosphere. And you can see it sometimes when it's thinking or slowing down, it'll billow and wiggle and like think. And kind of just like adjust itself, you know, like something like maybe its hair is raising or its hackles are going up, which is great because this thing has its own fucking biology to it. Biologists. That's what I meant to say. Um, it's got its own biology to it that is extremely nuanced and detailed and very interactive with them. And so they like any animal, any prey animal, they have all these things. They use camouflage, the big eyes, their own sort of threat displays, um, you know, fucking uh, poisoning it technically with the things, break off appendages, uh, decoys. It's it's perfect. And then at the end, um, they, they, they kill it by getting it to attack something that it considers a threat. And it threat displays the thing. It's basically a gigantic balloon. And when it tries to eat it, um, it blows up and kills it. And then it's kind of floating in the sky at the end. But even that part's fucking amazing. Because yet it goes yet again, it goes into my like we killed humans. Like it's, that's the best joke. Humans killed another fucking rare animal, another endangered species with uh, with 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 biopolymer pollution. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, not biopolymer. God damn it, polyurethane. Poly, help me out here. Oil is. Petroleum with a, with a, with a petroleum based, uh, pollutant, just a fucking gigantic, uh, balloon going up there and getting eaten and, and blowing it up. And so it's dead and it looks like a jellyfish floating in the sky when it's done and man, perfect. And then after that, the people show up and start trying to take pictures. She gets her pictures and shit, you know, whatever I, that, the, the human part of it is not as interesting to me. I mean, it's still good. It's not bad at all. It's just less interesting to me than that that monster is because the monster is so perfectly executed. You know, I want shit like that. That's so great. The UFO story is that the UFO is real and it's a fucking UFO, but there's no monsters coming out of it. There's no aliens. They don't want anything from you. They don't even want to talk to you. It can't even communicate. It's just here to eat stuff and not in like a malicious way. It's literally just eating. It's hungry. It's hungry. It doesn't want to die. It found a place with no predators. It has, by the way, that's the best. That's, that's such good horror writing too, because if you think about it, it gets worse. It has a threat display, which means there's something that can threaten it. It evolved a way mentally to show itself off in a way that could scare off something that could literally harm it. So that's great. 
So, you know, that thing might have a predator out there. Who knows? In the great in the great star systems, or maybe it's just evolved so that it can leave off whatever planet that, that created it. But it can also digest and, and functionally speaking, live, I guess, off of whatever it is that it ate out of us, which is going to be, you know, uh, nitrogen rich, um, nitrogen, high nitrogen, high calcium, pretty good amount of oxygen, iron that's uh, in the human body, carbon. And, and, and eats that. I think, if you want to go into speculation, if you've seen this, I think the cloud that floats around it, um, that kind of obscures it, is actually it taking a shit. That is my, that is my headcanon. Because you never see it, and that's like the one thing that they didn't cover biology-wise. They showed it vomiting, literally, which is, in a, it, it, which is an evolutionary characteristic, by the way. Not all things can vomit, and actually most things can't. Um, vomiting is an evolutionary uh, advantage for various animals that evolves in different ways. So ruminants can vomit in order to fully digest their food, right? Um, But not all of them can. Some of them have their own internal ruminants, rumination things, and so they can't vomit. Rabbits can't vomit. They literally can't. So if they eat a poison, it's just in them but they also wouldn't in general because they can kind of tell what is and isn't poisonous in their environment edible wise. And they kind of teach each other what to eat and they know instinctually like what to smell for. So they can go out and just smash an entire field of Timothy and they'll be fine. But omnivores especially have to be able to vomit and things that have, uh, that are, um, oh God, what, how do you, I can't remember what you call the way that owls eat, but things that make a uh, bolus, in their stomach out of non-digestible material that can't go out of their anus, they have to be able to vomit too. So it's evolved a vomit response, you know, and that is an evolutionary response. It's not just built into anything, you know, uh, most fish can't vomit kind of deal. I think, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you that ants and stuff and whatever the hell, if they do puke and put stuff out, it's not necessarily like that, you know? So, uh, well, I guess I kind of, I kind of bit off more than I can chew, but you don't start off with it. You know, it has to be evolved into things and it can evolve out of them. Amoeba can't vomit. Technically some things just go in and then go through, you know, and they can't get it out. But even the, the way that it can vomit and voluntarily and stuff, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm going into it too much, but that, that it has a gastrointestinal tract of some alien production and that that gastrointestinal tract has like a variety of shit to it that can change it, you know, and that it can be affected is fucking great. Cause I've never saw an alien movie where the alien was like all that bugged by something it can't eat. The most you get in one of those monster movies is sometimes they'll be like, Oh, it chewed on this, but it couldn't like chew through it kind of deal. But it reminds me of jaws when they cut up in the one shark and they pull out the fucking license plate and stuff. And I like that. I, I really, I really enjoy the, the biology, but also, yeah, the one thing it doesn't, they don't really cover is like, does it excrete things? Cause obviously it has to vomit. It's got to excrete things and it hides in this cloud that doesn't move. Right. And I think whatever, however it processes what it eats, it expels just like, um, H2O, like it expels water that forms like a cloud around it because it's of its place up in the sky. And that's kind of like a dualistic, like a, like a, a multi beneficial, uh, evolutionary trick that it can create its own camouflage out of 
um, it's excrement, which actually a lot of things do anyway. Uh, not a lot of things, but there are animals that do that. Um, God, I think there's a beetle. It's either a beetle or a type of spider that actually will use excrement and like chunks of wood and branches to build itself a little shell. And it, it, it just does that. And then it, it builds its little shell out of that and kind of goes around and then it can pull back into it. So that's awesome as well. And yeah, I just love it. I love it. It works great. Start to finish. Um, like I said, the two main characters are kind of wonderful. They're, they're mostly just, they exist as a reason for things to happen and like their own reasons for, to, to participate in it. Um, and I, 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 I enjoyed them, but I really love the monster. And I mean, that really should be it. The monster is always the king of the monster movie. And as far as monster movies go, this one is a 10 out of 10. I, I really enjoyed it. But I guess, um, yeah, like uh, that's, that's the issue that I have nowadays is, um, that was amazing. So I know I, I like horror still. I know I do. I, I really, I fucking love it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite dish. I want more. And like, I feel really comfortable when I was watching that stuff. I felt really comfortable and like vibing, you know, when I was watching even death note, which is, you know, corny and sometimes shit at times, but it presents itself in a way where it's corniness and it's like general shittiness is still like a beneficial part of it. Even if you have to take a point off, you're not going to take off more than one. Cause you're gonna be like, all right, you know, I've got to knock you for that, but I really appreciate the effort. Like, and I really enjoy that. And so, yeah, I know. I guess that kind of leaves it. I guess I did talk more than I expected to, but, uh, yeah, man. Um, I hope I can kind of just pull myself out of this funk. If you guys have any recommendations for good books and they better be good, <laughs> you know, feel free to send them my way. I, I, I want to be surprised, but I'm not going to lie. The current crop of uh, professional horror authors and people that just exist in that dark fiction space. I mean, it's just, there's not, there's, it's, it's really just generally bad. You know, I mean, it sucks to say, but I literally haven't read any of them. Even the ones that are like kind of better. Like I would still, um, the head full of ghost guys, Paul Tremblay, right? I would still read even the most mediocre Dean Koontz book over any offering he had if I had to pick up to, because even though his one thing was pretty good, like... I mean, I've read 20 fucking Dean Koontz books, which means I, I've read every fucking Dean Koontz book, but they are still just like a little bit more substantial and a little bit more entertaining than that. And I mean, that goes triple, quadruple, quintuple for the books written by the other authors, man. And I used to think Dean Koontz wasn't very good, but I guess I just, I was lucky. And the people that I had to compare him against were just the best, some of the best that have ever, have ever done it, you know? And I guess maybe, maybe I should even try to look up some of the other books that I remember reading from when I was a kid. I, I, and just see if those were good, you know, uh, the four horsewomen of the apocalypse. I need to look that book up again and maybe reread it and just revisit it. Cause I remember liking it a lot and I remember it being pretty fucking interesting. And actually, yeah, let, let me just say this. For as schlocky and kind of bad as some of them can be, I will say this uh, a thousand times about these, the fucking gothic romance novels, which of which I've read a startlingly large number. And actually, I might start just reading fucking True Blood. 
um, they are often corny, even stupid, and sometimes badly written, but just fucking like enjoyable in a sense. Like they just understand what they're trying to do. And like, I can really get into them. I can kind of vibe like you under, I, I, I don't know how to ever really explain this, but there is, and this is how I criticize stuff. When you present something to me in either the packaging, the, the pre-script, or even just the few first few sentences and pages of a book, you present me the vibe. And once I understand that that's the vibe, and unless you're extremely good or hilariously enough, extremely bad, and the vibe changes, like I judge based on the vibe. Every fucking uh, Clive Barker book I've read, vibe, dude, start to finish. And some of them I'm like, I don't really like this, but I get it. I can't knock it that much, you know, but uh, not, not fucking um, cold heart hollow or cold heart Canyon. Jesus Christ. That book was fucking good. And I got to read that like two, two years ago. I almost want to just reread cold heart Canyon. Like now, now that I'm getting older, I understand these people that reread the same books a few times. It's just because the industry turns out some fucking dog shit, bro. But you know, the vibe, the vibe is what I want. I'm glad that that, I, I, that, that term kind of came back because vibes, vibes from the seventies, weak, not good. Uh, no, no chef's kiss, but the vibe, the single vibe as in like harmoniously, we don't need multiple vibrations. We just need that one vibration, that one vibe, that vibe is on perfect. The generation knocked it out. That, that lingo I will keep, I will probably use that until I die. I really, I really like the vibe as a thing. And I feel like it's a, uh, if, if vibes came back and turned into a better version of itself, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, but yeah, if the vibe is described and then off like, fuck, what am I going to do? And if the vibe is just never fucking established, like eat shit, man, like, what are you doing? Like, I can't, I can't fucking listen to you all day. I got paid for this, man. And like, if I get to like, I, I I'm, I'm stuck sometimes. No, I, I, to, I don't have time for shit anymore. Like I don't have any fucking time. So I've got to listen to audible and stuff. And I really do listen right now. I'm doing my heart is a chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. And the vibe is not there yet. And we're already pretty deep in some Swedish people have died. They got killed by a slop hair on a lake. That was boring. It was badly written and it was boring. Unfortunately, will it get better? I don't think so. Cause right now I'm listening to, about this girl and all she keeps doing is talking about fucking horror movies. And like, she's the biggest horror movie fan ever. And she's having a mental breakdown and doing all kinds of chaotic shit. And I can barely keep track of what the fuck it is that's going on with her. And it's half because she's irritating and not very enjoyable, mostly because she doesn't have anyone to play off of because she's a stranger talking to strangers. So like everything like there, I don't have a ground. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't have a reference point to judge the speed at which this character, this character is traveling or, or the normalcy or abnormality in which she exists. That's just some basic shit. Um, if you don't think that that's a, that, that is, that is a, a static necessity for all things, right? You can draw a picture of a person, but you always need to have a background. Even if you don't have a background, you have a background. You know what I'm saying? The absence of the background is a background. 
So if your background is just like gibberish and I don't have anywhere to place the character or you don't use any reference points and I don't have any way to contrast what you're saying against what you're not saying and just try to figure out the story and where things are going, you just lose me, right? Uh, it, 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 it's like trying to eat milk with a fork. Turn it into cheese first, man. That, that's what I need from you. But anyway, yeah, uh, as excited. I mean, dude, that movie was so good and, and it was so original too. So I had plenty to talk to talk about it. And I, I really loved Nope. And I really liked Death Note. Um, Death Note was its own particular vibe. It's definitely an itch that got scratched. It's like, uh, you know, when you go back to an old pizza place that you said you would never get again and then you get it, but it's actually good. You're like, fuck, damn, I missed you. But I know I can't do it again because you're just going to break my heart. <laughs> this is an abusive relationship. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what Death Note is to me. But it's still not the worst thing ever. But I think ultimately, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this uh, current crop of, of horror people. I, I guess maybe I need to stretch out. I got to figure out who else is like big in these horror spaces that isn't being talked about and shit. Cause it's like, uh, there's this mother horror lady, right? And she's up at the tippity tip, tip top kind of over all of these people. She seems to be like the most powerful and influential one. And they kind of all fall under her umbrella. And then like it's kind of like everybody that's underneath that is all bad. <laughs> uh, resoundingly, right? To the point where there might be like, uh, so there's this guy, Josh Mallerman, who apparently wrote Bird Box, which I think is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, Mallerman is coming out with new stuff. He, he He's writing shit. I didn't read Bird Box, obviously, but like, Everyone's like, Josh Mallerman, man, he's a master in the area. And I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm going to check this dude out. I'm going to fucking hate him, but I'll try it. So I don't know. I guess next down the pipeline after uh, I, I slog through the Stephen Graham Jones book. You know, I think I am. I think I'm just going to start shredding this shit. And then just, I'm just going to put it on, on I'm going to tag him. I'm going to tag these people in this shit. And like, do you know that you made this and this sucks? Because at a certain point, like, I've just got to, you got to get it out there. Because am I insane? Like, am I contrarian? I keep coming back to this, but I feel, it's like that Will Ferrell thing. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, you know? Like, this isn't good. This is bad, right? Like, have you ever been sitting down at a meal and you look around at everybody and you're like, I don't want to eat this anymore. This is the, an offensive taste in my mouth. This bitch undercooked the spaghetti somehow. There's crunchy pieces in it and there is no salt in the fucking tomato sauce. The meat is also unseasoned and I think in some cases raw. But everybody around you is just going like, we really love this, Karen. Thank you for helping invest in our, our, our mobile home. And you're like, uh. And then I just, you just gotta stop. And I'm always that guy. I swear to God, I'm always that guy. I'm that guy in public. I do this shit in fucking lines at places where I'm just like, Hey, is this, are you fucking serious? Like I'm that guy. I'm the, are you fucking serious guy from the crowd? I do it in politics. I do it in, at, at fucking like random places where I'm like, oh, Hey, Hey, Hey. And like, I'll, I'll make my wife nervous, but I'll, I'll call over a waiter or a waitress. I don't yell at anybody or anything, but I will break whatever the fuck the meniscus is of taboo to just be like, Hey, uh, did you know that the fucking meat in this spaghetti sauce is raw? And they'd be like, oh, no, holy shit, that shouldn't go out. That's not even cooked. Yeah, yeah, sorry. 
I think other people are eating that. And then you point at another table and somebody will be like, oh, no, I'm fine. And then the person at the other table will be like, actually, yes, I believe I've been eating raw meat. I may have eaten a pound of, of raw beef. And I feel like I got to talk this shit through because nobody's going to get better if you don't talk about it. And like, they could be like half the time these people that I'm reading are like, they're almost there. And it's just like, man, you just need to practice. Like, could you just type more? Could you just write out a few more sentences? Just like every day, just sit down and write out a scene and then like, just delete it or go over it in your head. You know, like you need a sketch. Like I'm getting better at drawing because I fucking, I sketch shit. I'll draw this. I'll draw that. Naked people, trees, animals, all of this stuff. You need to draw all this stuff. Even if it makes you uncomfortable or you think you're not going to be good at it, go sketch so that you can improve. And I don't know what these people do to improve their skills because they all talk about going to these fucking MFAs, MFs. Did you go to the manuscript course? Oh, yeah, I went to the manuscript course. Uh, uh, dude, I'm a fellow at the fucking, at, at, at fuckboys local 102. They're going to teach me where the fucking colons go in the sentences. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, what is this shit? Talk about a story that sucks. Hate yourself. I, I, there's, I will take a pit of negativity. I will take a swirling, razor-bladed, oily, burning pit of swirling negativity because there's always something solid to stand on Then I will... Uh, 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 a gaseous brain melting cloud of positivity. Every time I see that shit. And I think this is mostly because I grew up in the Catholic church and I, I knew Protestants from the weirder churches when I was in the military and they, they do that weird shit, that culty shit where everybody's always, everything's always good all the time. The only vibe is good vibes. No one ever says anything bad unless it's somebody about somebody in the out group. And nobody discusses the in-group unless it's specifically to ostracize somebody from the in-group to the out-group. And, like, I see it in these, these little fucking, like, weirdo blowjob circles on Twitter. And it fucks with me. Because also, like, they're insanely strong. They're, like, on multiple platforms. You know, like, I, I see them here. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're fucking there. And then they're there, too. And I don't know if it's maybe it's the algorithm is getting to me. Like Papa Twitter is crawling into my brain like a worm and just fucking eggs, just eggs all over the fucking fear cortex. I don't know, but it is so intense. My, my fucking paranoia about it and the weirdness of it is literally driving me crazy. And I'm fucking to the point where I'm like, I'm not making money, not talking about it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, that doesn't feed me. What benefit does it give me? Uh, and if it doesn't do anything and it's not going to like, like I'm not, I'm not securing some social freedom for other people that I don't get the benefit of, but that, that does benefit a large amount. Like most of humanity, like it's just people selling shitty fucking books and giving shitty reviews of shitty books and blowing up like the fucking North star. And sometimes you even see like a little bit of a self-awareness in it. And I see like some of them and they'll be like, you know, I don't feel like there's, there's space for negativity in, in, in this world. You know, this has always been such a positive space and I like the positive. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's like the, the boys season two, when they talk about you're a toxic personality. I see that. I see that in them and it fucking weirds me out, man. It really sets off all of my fucking alarm bells. 
And I don't know, maybe there's a story in that, the fucking, the, 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 <laughs> the bargain bin book cult. Oh, that just sounds cool. Bargain bin book cult. That's like a, that's a lost R.L. Stein. That is, no, you know what that is? That's when Stephen King tries to like do a, an homage to another author, but he would never do one to Stein because they're like the same age. And that would be the Stephen King story. That's, uh, that's the R.L. Stein thing. Maybe I should write that. I'll just fucking freestyle it. The bargain book. The bargain bin book cult. The bargain bin book cult. I'll write that down later. Uh, maybe it'll maybe maybe it'll fucking maybe it'll grow wings. Who gives a shit? But I don't know. I just ultimately, I guess my 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 fucking thing is, it's just I have no fucking respect for the industry and the state that it's in. I want these major corporations destroyed. I want them ripped to pieces. If there's only three companies that do fucking anything at a multinational level. I want them either destroyed or I want that I want there to be fucking funding to create at least 10, 15 more because it's never good. It's a fucking monopoly. All right. And no one ever talks about the monopoly. No one rages against the monopoly. These people will piss their fucking pants shit down their own fucking legs, boots full of urine sloshing about on the Twitter pissing and fucking moaning about the most minor shit, a faux pas, a gaffe that some fucking dickhead that's in his nineties made that everyone like seals will clap. This is how we know we're making change. You haven't done anything. Respond to racism, do it. But that's, that's what you do to racism. That's natural. That's not meant to be applauded. It's like me saying, like, if you told me you shit in the toilet and then wiped your ass and washed your hands before going and eating a nice uh, fish dinner, I would say, congratulations, you are a basic fucking human being. That's it. You, you did the thing, you cleaned up after yourself, and now you're, now you're just, you're enjoying your little fish dinner. You did the basic bitch shit. But I don't see them out there fucking trying to do anything for change, all right? None of these people are using their fucking platforms to, to do anything of fucking value. And yet somehow they're always like morally expostulating on all of this shit. It's so fucking bizarre. Like it can't be anything other than window dressing, all right? Like, yeah, okay, I've got a Black Lives Matter sign out in front of my house, which is like a bare minimum shit, dude. It's easy to do. We, me and my wife put it together. It's made out of wood. We made it ourselves instead of buying it from fucking Walgreens or whatever the fuck. But like, we made that and we put it outside. Cool. But we also go down and march and shit. I'm going to start doing phone banking to try to get some fucking leftist politicians elected because I know that if we get some leftists in there, no matter how you think about it, eventually shit will definitely get better for black and brown people. Equity is through fair treatment for the working class. That's, that's real shit. That's fucking materialist ends to materialist fucking questions, right? Do this ideology shit, man. Prancing around issues and shit, and nobody wants to talk to anybody, and no one will ever fucking address the goddamn elephant in the room, which is Black and brown people haven't been published for years. It's not fucking white authors' faults for getting fucking published. We don't choose that. It's the goddamn publishing company. It's huge. And now it's just like, okay, white authors, uh, all right, all the poor ones. We'll stop publishing the poor ones. Rich kids get to go. Rich kids play first. Good for you. Hey, everyone. Oh, Stephen King's kid? 
You suck balls. Get right the fuck in there, dude. You, we're going to buy a, a whole spot, a whole spot of Barnes and Nobles, 160 stores throughout the U.S., 160 stores. We're going to buy them for you, and we're going to put you out there because your daddy's rich. Your daddy's rich. You're untalented. You suck at writing. You are unironically so bad at it that it's a fucking miracle you passed English class. It's a freak show that anybody checked it off. I guess your dad stopped buying red, the red, red for the class and that fucking bumped it up to an A. You're trash. Oh, uh, black guys that came in, you're new. And we didn't publish any of you for like the last 60 years, except for occasionally when you just broke through in like the low levels in your own areas that we were kind of nervous that you would start your own publishing companies. And so we won't want you to do that. Why don't you come here and and work for us? We're not going to, we're not going to promote shit. (laughs) You're, you're not going to be on shelves at Barnes and Noble that we have paid to play and put you up there next to Stephen King. Uh, Calm down. I know you're, I, I, I know it worked real hard for you, but Hey, you're here at all. So say, thank you. You know what I mean? And, and watch out for those fucking, uh, those, those fucking poor whites that don't have any connections down the line. You know, they're, they're, they're going to try to fucking, they're going to try to squeeze in the door next to you. And yeah, probably racist. You know, I, I mean, I'm from Manhattan. I couldn't be racist. I'm from Manhattan. My wife is from Los Angeles, which is like, literally they're, they're the least racist places on earth. Ignore that Trump is from here. Uh, he lives in Kentucky. That guy that guy he's from fucking nebraska oh that dude from alabama no way probably literally no no understanding of like what you've gone through but uh you can trust me you can trust papa you why don't you trust papa money bucks <laughs> fucking stupid man he drives me nuts and i wanted to complain about it and i i did it's my show and I can ruin it if I want to. And I think, I, I don't know, I think maybe going forward I need to do that more often. You know, I, I don't understand, and this is the, the one of the, the, the final thing I guess I'll talk about. And, you know, I really want you guys to talk to me. Talk to me. This is going to be one of those ones where it's like, I really want you to hit it up. Get on the Facebook, by the way, facebook.com, uh, Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. Get on the Discord. Um, email me. Westsidefairytales at gmail.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I insane? Is this guy, is he unthinkable? It, are, are the things that I'm saying insane? Do, 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 does, does, does the man protest too much? I don't know. I really don't know. And I feel extremely isolated in my opinions. And you know what? Maybe if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But then at least I'll get that. I want to be in that sea of negativity before I'm in the void of, of non-interaction or the, uh, the, 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 the white cloud of, of false positivity. I want to be in that sea of negativity. I want, I want clap back at me, fucking say some shit. Tell me how much you love those authors. I don't give a fuck. I want to hear from you guys because I do. I feel like I'm losing my fucking mind about this shit. And like, maybe I'm divorced from reality. Maybe I sit at my goddamn computer screen talking too much. I didn't put on socks today because I didn't need to. That's fucking crazy, right? My feet are cold. I probably should have socks on, but instead I'm here. I'm talking to a computer screen. I've been doing this for four hours. I had to delete the original talk. I had to delete the one before that. But I really do think I need to start doing stuff that uh, that I really 
that invigorates me more. Whore and Lit Club started because I had a bunch of shit I wanted to talk about. A bunch of stuff that I people never mentioned, you know, and uh, that were like rare secrets that I wanted to bring up. And unfortunately, just with the way things are and the amount of time I have to explore, I just don't find as many as much. And it's not to say that there's bad books and there's no good books. I'm just having a lot of trouble with modern stuff, which I was trying to review just because it might have like a little bit of a purpose. I I don't know. It might, it might hit the algorithm a little bit harder and I could try to play off one of these fucking losers names and, and, and try to get myself a few hits, but man, they make it hard by writing such boring shit. And some of it, isn't even just, it's just like not bad enough to really tear into. And some of it's just like, okay, man, I guess this was your shot. I don't know how everybody read this book. I don't know how you went through fucking an editor, an agent, yourself, whoever beta readers, and then ended up with whatever the fuck this is, because that is insane. It's absolute madness. But yeah, I think I'm going to start talking, talking more about whatever the fuck comes to mind more often. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll start doing it live. Maybe I won't. I just don't, I don't, I don't know anymore. I, I don't like the way it was going. I was doing, I've been doing it for five fucking years for a, uh, an audience of, of a handful. You know what I'm saying? And it's changed up a little bit more and a little bit more as time goes on. And uh, yeah, if I don't like it, and you guys don't really care enough about it, then fucking why, why keep doing it? You know what I'm saying? This isn't a, a great creative endeavor. Like I'm cool with all the, the stories. Like if my stories never made it, I don't give a fuck. I, I write that shit cause it's fucking fire in my opinion. And I love it. I am happy the entire time I'm writing a story. I'm fucking vibed out. I'm in it. I will go for seven hours, 10 hours straight, just living in a world of my own creation. It's fucking great. I will never not write and I will never not put that stuff out. But as far as like a little talk show like this, you know, maybe we got to spread out. They had to find, maybe do some interviews. Maybe just start talking fucking politics and trying to get into that stream. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really care, but I got to do something. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I gotta, I gotta kick the fucking dust off. I got I to gotta get some Gojo on these greasy hands of mine, clean them up, and, and, and start on, on something new, something fresh. And I think I'm going to leave you guys with that. I love you all. I am sorry about how long this ended up being. I hope you at least enjoyed the part uh, me talking about something I really, really liked. If I really, really like something, I'll talk the shit. I'll talk it up to death. And if I really, really hate it, I'll go the opposite way. But man, some shit is just fucking boring man some stuff's just not worth talking to and it always sucks to spend 15 dollars and you know 14 10 12 14 16 hours of my life listening to it or reading it it's absolutely fucking miserable but who knows who knows um until next time i guess uh as always stay safe out there Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. 
months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night. Two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused, Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Dark Fiction Podcast, due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.